I don't know what animal story you've got, Rebecca, but I've got an animal story. If it so, if yours isn't good enough, we're going with this one. I have an hour and fifteen minutes, so we gotta stay on target a what little bit. What the hell? You were late, half an hour late, sir. Somebody said, and I quote, "I'm free all day today." Welcome to the Barely Saved Podcast, where we have the discussions real Christians don't have. Here's your hosts. I'm Caleb. I'm on time. Right. Well, yeah, so you're not free all day. My husband comes home around 545 with my child, and I would like to be done in the evening. I am free all day. I'm not free in the evening, sir. It's part of the day. Also, 545, it's too early. I didn't get home till 630, so... I don't, I don't need to hear it. Yeah, well, that's why I married Nate. <laughs> it is 7.30 here on the East Coast, so. It is. It is indeed. We had volleyball today, so. Oh, how is she doing at volleyball? It's good. She's doing really well. So we survived the hurricane, uh, which was not that eventful where I was. Wind, rain, lots of people lost power. We didn't lose power for that long. We lost internet for, like, Almost 24 hours, though, which was highly annoying. That's exciting. I am home from Hawaii, and it was wonderful. And I'm still off work until October 21st. So I'm going to clean out my house and build Lego. And yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Oh, shoot. I did that backwards. Oh, well. And podcast listeners, for those of you who hear this um, and do not see it, Rebecca is actively building Lego while we record. Again, free all day. Wait, are we doing video? Are we recording video and posting it as video too? Video is recording. Whether or not we ever post it is unknown. But uh, a couple weeks ago, Amanda had the idea that we should record the video and put it on our Patreon page. Oh. After she got attacked by a dog. Yes, after she was attacked by a dog. Which, attacked is a strong word. Wait, Amanda was attacked by a dog? Gus Gus came up and got in her face while we were recording the podcast, and she had a spray bottle at her desk and immediately sprayed him in the face. Was Amanda on last week? Two weeks ago. Oh, two weeks ago. Last week we did Christian nationalism, right? Amanda, Amanda did not want to be on that week. <laughs> that was a good life choice for all of us. But it would've been, she would have been fine. No. No, she wouldn't have. Listen, Caleb, even even if... The podcast recording would have been fine. <laughs> even if the podcast would have been the most enjoyable listen of the year, I would not have been okay. <laughs> well, yes. I'm not saying that, like, things would have been well in the Van Winkle household had you been on the podcast. But it would have been great content for us. Sometimes the ends do not justify the means, Caleb. This is one of those times. I live like 900 miles away from them. So it's fine as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, no, I I hear that, Caleb. I totally understand what you're saying. And also, no. So Fat Bear Week is back. Yes, it's Fat Bear Week. We talked about it last year. We did. It's, It's a yearly thing. You know what, Matt? I don't know if you're aware of this, but winter... Happens every year. Says the man living in North Carolina. Um. Listen, I have watched Game of Thrones, and I know that is not true. You know that winter is coming? 
Right. It's not every year. It's very oddly, it's an odd climate. Okay. That's not a real place. Um, in Alaska, winter comes every year. It also leaves every year unless there's a volcanic eruption, in which case winter never leaves. And it's an eternal winter that lasts all summer. That's true. We might stay around for two years. Which lots of people died. Oh, my. That escalated quickly. I'm not supposed to say it like that. Today in class, Kayla, we talked about the papacy. Uh-huh. And monasticism. Oh, that's exciting. The two pillars of medieval Christianity. That is also true. Sure. Everything everything kind of revolves around one of those two. It's true. Mm, I, w- I would say they revolve around Jesus still. Well, that's not what the Pope would say. <laughs> <laughs> we read we I read Unum Sanctum in class. Okay. At least the the Bettinson uh selection of it. And I said, This is the height of papal power. It only goes downhill from here. <laughs> <laughs> and then I drew a graph from like 400 and had it kind of like squiggle up to 1302 and then drop because <laughs> because 1378 was the the start of the two pope era mm-hmm. and 1409 was the start of the three pope era right somebody oh man I got one of the students hard because I said uh, and of course the uh, the bishop of Rome is in and someone said Rome, and I said, that's right, Avignon. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Matt? I'm just having a hard time figuring out what this has to do with a bear that ate 42 salmon in one sitting. It doesn't have anything to do with it. You don't have to cut all this out or move it. No, I'm absolutely not cutting it out. So let me tell you, Caleb, what it has to do with February week. Okay, because I'm highly confused. It has everything to do with February week. And Rachel, I don't think you've seen this yet. Oh, boy. <laughs> so as we discuss Fat Bear Week, <laughs> the, the tweet says, I swear a bear stole my Amazon delivery. No, I haven't been drinking. And it is a video from a doorbell knob. A ring or whatever. Yeah, maybe above the door of a black bear taking a box off of a porch. Now, Caleb would like to tell you it is not. That is a chewy box. So it's not an Amazon delivery. It's a chewy box. It's not an Amazon box. It's a PetSmart delivery. Which means what does it have inside of it? Food. Food. That box has food. And the bear is like, let's go. Chewy. No, Caleb, Chewy uh, like, is a direct. Chewy was bought by PetSmart in 2017. It is a PetSmart box. It's a Chewy box. Thank you very much, sir. I have the Chewy app. It is a Chewy box. Are they? St- I think they're still separate companies, though. I mean, it's owned by PetSmart. Google's owned by Alphabet, but it's not the same. That'd be like saying that Woot is different than Amazon. But do you know what I see? Do you know what I see every day? I see thousands of Woot shipments at Amazon Warehouse. It is Amazon. What the heck is Woot? Woot, is, it started as an independent thing. It, you know, you buy things that are cheap, made in China. Usually slightly defective is what they were oh, originally. Oh, so it's Wish. It's knockoff Wish. Yeah. Which is just really depressing. <laughs> 
even more depressing. So in the spirit of fat bears, not only should we celebrate fat bear week and we will come back later, of course, with the winter, because that's what we do here at the barely safe podcast. But in honor of that, please go watch the tweet video of the black bear very ceremoniously. I think taking the food the chewy from, I mean, it is, that's amazing. It is a masterclass in, you remember the, I mean, the, Yogi bear uh, could take lessons there's a from reason this bear. They don't have bear proof, um, boxes at Yellowstone. Have you guys heard of this before? It's kind of a joke, but it's probably real too, that there's an overlap between the dumbest humans and the smartest bears. <laughs> that sounds human. They, they do have bear proof boxes at Yellowstone. But they're not completely bear proof is the point. Fair. No, bear proof trash cans. Bear proof trash cans in Yellowstone. There's a significant overlap. So we got a message today from a friend. I, I messaged him quickly and was like, hey, want to come on the podcast really quick? And he hasn't responded, so probably not. Well, that's probably because he can't. His name is Jacob. And uh, we can ask him later if he wants to, actually wants his name in the podcast or not. But I figured if it's recorded, it's easier than putting it in later. <laughs> that's true. And, and we won't give any personally identifying information. Correct. As we do, I think I think a first name is acceptable. Even yeah, like there's there's we, we plenty. Just, of, we can just leave uh, his first name there of Jacobs. Like there's plenty yeah. of Jacobs, or maybe we could announce him like as a variation of Jacob. So the moral of the story is, he asked a question about leadership and pastors. Yes. Also, why are y'all's videos so bad on my end? Why is your video so bad? Hold on. Whose video is bad? Is my video bad, Matt? Because my video of you is clear and Rebecca's is super bad. My video of both of you is super bad. Okay. It's probably my internet then. Because Rebecca's is definitely her internet. Um, the question, like Rebecca mentioned, was pointedly at AG schools. And I think it's the the question and the answer are multifaceted. Yeah. So the question is... Why are, or, well, I don't even, what was the question? I guess that's a better way to put it. I don't know if the question ever got clearly asked in my mind. Yeah, I don't think the question was clear. Um. Oh, he's, he's coming. He's drunk. He's going to jump on. Okay, so we, I listened to your polo on the way home about leadership. I have lots of thoughts on this. We hadn't talked about it before. And so I messaged these two animals and I said, hey, we don't have a, a topic yet. We should do that because that's literally what we've been talking about all the day is that we don't have a topic. And Caleb keeps asking us to come up with one. Um, no, I literally sent you a list of like 12 topics or more. It might be more than that. A lot of topics that are on the list of things to discuss and you didn't like any of them. Yeah, so we we uh, listened to your question, and I said, hey, that would be a great topic of discussion. And then Rebecca was like, well, I should invite him and make sure and see if he can come. And then we started thinking about it, and I was like, wait, what was the question? And so it was really serendipitous <laughs> that you came on. So, because I don't know if you ever actually said the, like, a whole, like, this is the question part. <laughs> so if you would be so kind as to do that. <laughs> wow, okay. 
I'd only ever actually completely articulated it. That was probably the third time. Once to myself, once to my sister, and then then. So I, I'm not 100% sure what, what, what the one question... What your question is? <laughs> I think that the statement that I'm trying to make is that the church sucks at raising leaders. And so maybe the question is, how do we raise better leaders for the church? So you asked the question, I had about three thoughts immediately. The first one has to do with, and I'm going to insult teachers here, so Rebecca's going to get real mad in the second. <sighs> Whatever. Um, but my class said the other day, uh, again, it's the class where they've made memes of me and you know we're learning church history, and it's it's been a lot of fun. My quizzes are way too hard, they say. Um, but I don't, I, as a professor, I'm not a doctor, um, and I want them to call me Matt. Because that's my name. <laughs> like, that's mm -hmm. what I want. First off, that's what I want my friends to call me. And second, and more importantly, I want these students to see me as a resource after they graduate. And if they're calling me by my first name in class, then hopefully that's the feel they get afterwards. That they don't, that, that I have broken down the levels of the power game. hierarchy enough. Yeah. To just for them to just come to me and ask a question. That's that's the goal, and it's so far it's, it's working all right. Um, but they were they were joking, and they were saying, "Yeah, it's really funny because you know we had high school teachers, and they said, yeah, your college professors won't let you get away with that,' and all this other stuff, and they're making memes on their computers in class. As long as they're paying attention a little bit, I'm fine with it. Like whatever, you know, if you're doing well in the quizzes and and you're getting feedback, the person who made the memes already has an idea for their um." Uh, for the research paper. So like, you know, it is what it is. And I said, the thing is, and this is where I insult teachers, high school teachers go from high school to college to high school often, and they don't have that real world experience. They don't go and work at a company. They don't go and do the things that develop some of those skills, right? And it's not all teachers. And you can tell the ones who have worked in the real world, right? Because mm -hmm. they're the ones who are a little more chill. They know what the real world dynamics are, and they act differently than teachers who came straight from college into the college workforce. Now, granted, this isn't a blanket statement, but usually the, the most anal retentive teachers are the ones who have not experienced that outside. And so when I say that, I say that to say in our movement, there are many Bible school trained pastors who go from high school to Bible college to a youth pastor position and move on. And they never have to develop the skill because they're immediately put in a leadership place. Mm -hmm. So team building, why do I need to build a team? I already have one. There's no, um, there's no intentionality in the jokes. So this week, uh, I've got a new question, you guys, that I'm asking at the end of meetings when someone asks if there are any questions, and I can tell that no one has any questions. Like, I don't just word this out. But if at the end of the meeting, someone says, are there any questions, and there's a long pause, I will say, yes, I have a question. If you could be any Spice Girl, which one you, would you be? And there's only one wrong answer. Do you guys know what the wrong answer is? Oregano. I don't know any of the Spice Girls. <sighs> That's what my college kid said. Baby. Baby spice is the wrong answer. It's true. I might switch this to Colors of Power Rangers, though, and use this question. But see, you get the feel like it, it that builds teams. Right. Because it's silliness. It's It gives people a place to talk. And if you've never been in that situation, 
it's not a thing. So I'm curious what your thoughts are. Just everyone's on that. Just the idea that the problem that we have is you, you can't teach some of these things. They have to be learned in a real world setting. Mm -hmm. And we thrust people into settings where they don't have to learn these skills, at least to start with. I think I, I agree. And I'm thinking back to my student teaching experience because my mentor teacher, the person that I learned from, had been a, a restaurant manager. He had he had been a business owner and manager um, before he ever was a teacher. And so his uh, just his style, the way that he related to students, the way that he um, communicated, and the way that he passed that on to me was uh, was really different than what I see happening um elsewhere and so i think from that example like you're that holds up yeah i i, I want to think of the ministry side and let somebody else talk for a second though i forgot what the question was we're really focusing on like why why in the in the first part why don't ministers have this skill this team building leadership i would say team building more than leadership because leadership is team building mm, and then okay. moving in the same direction and to me it seems as if leading in a direction that's something that a lot of pastors can do it's not necessarily done well we'll come to that in a little bit but the team building aspect of it is so problematic they just don't have the ability to build a team they don't know how to inject humor appropriately so I think that part of it is that people tend to attract people who are like themselves. And there's not very many people like the person who goes straight from high school into college, Bible college, and then into ministry. There's not very many people like that in churches. And so to, to talk about, to build teams with, and to do those things with people that aren't like that is, is like a, almost a foreign culture to a lot of leaders because it, it's not, it's not the group that they were in because they were the group that was with that leader in high school. And then before they went on to ministry and they've, they've not, they've obviously not had the practice of interacting with people that are different enough to build a cohesive, diverse team. Absolutely. And Jacob, you know, to the military side of things, what do enlisted soldiers hate more than anything? Mandatory fun. Mandatory fun is correct. See, this man knows. But as a command member, one, is there anything as important as mandatory fun? There aren't very many things. And two, how often do the enlisted soldiers get there and have fun? <laughs> right? Like, it's this hatred of the moment. It is like, I don't want to do that. I can't believe they're making me do that. We have a day off and I have to go do this. This is stupid. And then they get there and they're still funhead. It's true. To be clear, in the corporate environment, this also exists. Yes, but it's different in the military environment. Trust me. <laughs> I've been in both places. <laughs> it is different. I'm just saying we all hate it as well. When it's like, we could have a day off here, and you're making us do this? In the military, your mandatory fun is at 6 a.m. And you have to show up to formation. It's not that you can just roll up. You've got to show up, get in formation in your civilian clothes, and do all this stupid, and you're just... But at the end of the day, you've had a good time. And then, additionally, it's, it's the same for first sergeants who know when a unit needs either not to do PT that day or to go have fun at PT that day. Right. 
And that's that's the those leadership qualities that I didn't even realize when I was in. But as as you see NCOs develop NCOs and officers develop officers, it's that little moment of, hey, the unit needs this right now. I can tell and I'm going to act on it. Whereas that, like Kayla mentioned, is never as far as a unit, uh, uh, as far as a church cohesiveness goes, that's never developed among many pastors. Spiritually, they might be able to put their finger on the pulse better than any NCO or officer could. But when it comes to that ability to just do do the goofy thing when the goofy thing needs to happen, it's not necessarily there for some pastors. And maybe it's because we've created this sacred, uh, sacred, uh, secular, or holy, unholy, like, division where it because it's holy, it has to be serious. And I think that, that that definitely plays a role in why people don't seek out leadership training after the fact, because you have to prioritize it. In the, the corporate side, they pay thousands of dollars per person to train on different things, to try and improve their communication, improve their team building, you name it. But I've, I've seen it in, in church meetings. Someone on the board is going to raise their hand and say, but how does this bring us, uh, help us bring people closer to Jesus? And if you don't have a, a tangible tie to that, then it's, it's dead in the water. And I think that leads us to the second thing I thought when I listened to your polo. And that was, do we need pastors who are leaders? And hear me out on this one. Because I think that to a certain extent, we've bastardized what it means to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. And, and this could go either way. It really depends on your ecumenical model. But one of the things that really um, I'm fascinated with in the Anglican Church is the separation between the rector and the the board. What's it called, Caleb? Vestry. The vestry. And the power invested in the vestry, see what I did there, is quite a bit. And the leader, the person who basically leads the vestry, has a lot of influence in the church. And they become a co-leader, like almost an Aaron to the Moses that is the rector. Mm -hmm. And it's beautiful because the rector's going to (laughs) leave, right? (laughs) They're not going to stay there. And so it allows them to be a spiritual pastor without needing to do the leadership things. And, And being able to... Now, granted, that takes a lot of deference to that person. And heaven forbid I mention this, in some AG circles with boards, because I've been that guy was like, well, if we just didn't have the board, we could, we could fix all these things. Um, You know, you've heard it before. The thing is though, if you get a board that can step in and do those leadership things, it frees up the pastor to do the pastor things to, to not worry about the leadership side. And then when you invest in the board, granted, this might be a harder sale, but you can say, Hey, the part of what we want to do here is I know you guys are in business, but it'll also help us at the church if you guys are better leaders. And then you can pay for that training for the board members and they can become the leaders in the church and in their businesses. And it'll help everyone out because then the pastor is no longer required to be. That is a lot of strain we're putting on pastors. If we want to know why burnout is such a big thing, especially right now, is we're putting a lot of strain on pastors to be the methodological leader and the spiritual leader of a congregation. And I don't know if that's sustainable. I think that this is something that's really cropped up in the past 30 years, maybe 40 years, but I question its sustainability the longer we go with it. And part of that is what we're seeing is churches built on celebrity 
as Caitlin Beatty will tell us. And then when that pastor leaves, there's no one, there's no leader there to take up the mantle. Whereas if you put the board and you have a person on the board, be that leader, the pastor can leave as pastors do sometimes, but the organization still continues strong because the leader hasn't left. Sure. And it takes pastors being mature enough to say, I don't need everything my way. It takes pastors being able to actually do a discipleship process instead of a how do we get people in seats process. And that takes board buy-in too. It does. Um, And you have to have a board that wants to be developed and be discipled into into spiritual leaders, not just the fundamentalists who want to keep things all the same as well. Like there has to be a cohesive vision between the two. Um, Having just gone through a pastoral transition, seeing the gaps in our structure and leadership, which, which I had known were there, but were just revealed even more when the lead pastor had to leave. Um, I mean, I was the other person who had to, who stayed and had to pick everything up, but that wasn't what anybody had actually been prepared for or talked to about. And Caleb, I want to come back to you, but I want to respond to to Rebecca, what you said, and that was specifically that it takes them being on the same page. I disagree. Like, I think that one of the things that we have a problem with in, in that leadership sphere is pastors wanting to take charge and take the church a certain direction that they think is correct without having any done any leadership change work whatsoever. You know, John Cotter's Leading Change, it's not a Christian book, but the the way he lays out how to lead change is instrumental. And I don't think that a church should be hampered by the pastor and board being on different wavelengths. The If that's the case, at one point in my life, I would have said the board needs to change. But I'm older now and stupider. And I think the pastor just needs to say, hey, you know what? Maybe we need to do it. The, there's a group of men who have and women who have been here. I've only had men boards. It's part of the problem of my life. But there's there's a group of men and women here who have been here a long time. They know this congregation better than I do. I need to acquiesce to them. Right. And and know that they have the best interests of this church at heart. And there's a lot of pastors who don't say that. Yeah. And that's especially in our movement because we lean on leadership and say, well, we have to lead the church. No, you don't. They can do that. And you can be there to pastor and be the spiritual leader without having to be the team building motivation leader. Not that you shouldn't do those things, but maybe we do less so that we can do more. I just want to clarify, because what I was saying about the board and the and the, and the pastor not being on the same page was more in regards to the the pastor being the one taking all of the all of the vision and all those things um, where there are two sides to it. The pastor either being like not wanting to give up influence and power and really having that um, one person centric like uh, focus um, on the flip side, though, um, I think there is uh, we ran into this a little bit with our pastoral transition. The fact that we had a co-lead married couple come in because our board was resistant to the idea of a team leadership. So I think that that there there's the other side of it. And, and that's what I actually I was going more to as far as like getting everybody on gotcha. the same page was that 
there are plenty of boards and especially the older generation that's like, no, the buck has to stop somewhere. There has to be a point person who's in charge. And like, that's the, the deal at the same time that they want to also be involved. And so there's this weird, um, almost cognitive dissonance about what they think the, their role should be within the church. Um, and so I think that, so that's what I meant by being on the same page. It wasn't saying that like the pastor had to dictate it. Gotcha. So being on the same page is like, this is probably the better, this is the better model and we need to, to be able to shift there. Makes sense. All right. So you've, a lot of things have been talked about here. Uh, it's Matt first, you asked the question, does, does the pastor have to lead? I think the answer is absolutely yes, because that's what pastors do, right? Pastors are shepherds. Yeah, but Caleb's going to be a jerk and say, but they don't have to lead like that. He, 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 he. <laughs> Here he goes. Here he goes. <laughs> but I think that what we miss is what leadership actually means in the context of people. Like, leadership is not everybody loves what I'm telling them to do and loves me as a result of it. Like I, I work at a corporation, you know, I oversee people doing manual tasks repetitively all night long because I work night shift, right? I expect my people to pack an average of 550 items every hour for a 10 hour shift. That's terrible. Yeah, that's, that's their job, right? But a part of being a leader in that space is to make that job not soul crushing. Right. Like, how are we going to have fun? Let's run contests. Whoever the first and second place winners, like you're going to get breaks. And when you get those breaks, guess what? I'm going to hop on the machine and I'm going to pack things, right? It means that I help the people out that are doing indirect work, moving things around. Like part of being a leader in that space is actually doing the work alongside of people to that's help true. them out to fix the things, right? Agreed. Like that's that's part of it. And so should the pastors be leaders? Absolutely. That's what a pastor is. They're a shepherd. Um, that's like th what the word means. But in doing that, uh, you have to be alongside of people coming to where they are, helping them do the things. And sometimes that's not being the CEO of the organization. I think a lot of the times it isn't. Like we can divest that to a group of lay people, like what Matt was saying with the vestry, where these are the people that lead the organization and the pastor's job is to pastor and lead people, not necessarily the organization. Jacob, to give it to you in a, a military context, first sergeant is the pastor. We don't want the pastor to be the captain. Not that he can't be. Or she. But the first sergeant's job is to know his soldiers and have his soldiers best interests at heart and to get alongside them and do the work when it's needed. And frankly, to tear into them when they need a good tearing into. <laughs> right that's the job of first sergeant that's what we need pastors to be we don't need them to be officers not that officers aren't important but if i have to choose i want my pastor to be an nco i want him to be in with the soldiers and the airmen obviously we have different branches but um right. <laughs> i want him to be in there and and know these guys and know his congregation and know her congregation so that in those moments, don't look at me like that. I was about to do it anyways. I saw your eye twitch. <laughs> Part of it's military based. That's a problem. Um, I'm just saying there's been a lot of heavy male pronoun usage in this 
So, and, and so part of it is like, there's, there's a need for, for pastors to be in the trenches doing those things like Caleb mentioned. And I think that that's part of the, part of the problem that we have is we have too many pastors who want to be officers and not enough pastors who want to be NCOs. Now, the second thing, the second thing I had before I let Jacob go on. Hold on. Are you saying there's a structure to evangelicalism? <laughs> we structure our services based off of tent revivals in the 1800s, where you have a long song service that plays loud so that people outside of the tent hear that there's a service happening. And so it lasts for 30 to 45 minutes so that we people come. And then we have a person get up and preach a long sermon, a salvation message, or you know other messages, but that's the style of the tent revivals that we're based off of. And they preach this message, and then they do a long altar call, which again, music drawn out prayer times, etc. And so, you know, we took all of these churches or these places where these tent revivals were, and people planted churches out of that. And then that became the structure because that's what people were used to. And I think that structure, while appropriate for a, a tent revival outdoor meeting, where you're trying to invite lots of people to come in, I think that's actually a good structure for that meeting. But it misses something formative in the lives of the congregation when that's the only thing we ever see is this big show to bring people in. You know, we're going to talk about Anglicanism again, because that's the only thing Anglicans ever talk about in these circles. Um, <laughs> but the sermon is decentered in in the liturgy, right? Like, you have all of these things before the sermon and all of these things after the sermon. And while the sermon happens, it's not the center. You know, service starts at the start of the first song when not just it's a song that we're all singing, but actually the cross and the gospel and all of the things are processing in, right? And, and we start off at the beginning of the service de-emphasizing the people in the front because literally it's people coming in from the back carrying the things we read the scriptures which usually the reading of the four texts is about as long as the homily itself and not generally done by the person giving the homily never done by the person giving the homily you have a different person read the texts a deacon will read the gospel text and oftentimes, well, at, our, at my church, all the times so we sing whatever the psalm is. And so the congregation is involved in the psalm. Do you sing it or do you chant it, Caleb? Usually there's like a part of it that we all sing. And then there's a cantor that does the other part that's more like a chant. But then we all sing the verse. And, and that structure itself lends itself to a community because it's not possible to be one person that does it because you actually break the rules if you do that. Because the celebrant, the person that does the Eucharist, is not the person that reads the gospel text. It can't be. The person that reads the gospel text is not the person that gives the homily. It can be, but it shouldn't be. Um, and when you separate it in those ways, it de-emphasizes a person. And so that way those, those, those people, it's not possible to not be a leader and do well in that space to actually like lead people and not just get up in front and be a celebrity. We have to wrap up because Rachel only has 15 minutes before lunchtime with her husband. So if you will go ahead and Jacob, give, 
<laughs> give us your thoughts. You get to you get to close. Give out us your section. concluding thoughts. We'll give you the final word after we've uh, answered maybe your question. Who knows? <laughs> and sort of listening to what you guys have been talking about, I've been thinking about it, and my words were critiquing our current church paradigm, which you guys kind kind of commented on. If the pastor is going to be the be all end all, they also have to focus. They need to add one more thing to their plate, and that's to uh, to be a leader of men. And then maybe we won't have so many under pastors burning out. Maybe we, we won't have as many uh, senior pastors burning out if they actually understand themselves well enough to lead other people well. But in the context of what you guys have actually said, you know, I, I think that the education point makes sense that, you know, most, most people aren't going to jump right into a leadership role. But uh, some people will. And even if you jump into one later, you know, I've, I've referred back to notes from college, read, reread a book a lot um, that has helped me immensely. Just remembering, I had a class on this. Let me go back and look at what I had on that. Mm-hmm. Just using my education as, as a reference and not just as a, as a once, fire at once sort of thing. But even if you do jump right into something or, or jump right into a church as a pastor, within our current system, there's so much assumption that the your senior pastor or someone in the district is going to help develop you as an organizational leader. I don't think that's there. I mean, that's what I was told. Oh, they lied to you, man. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> now, granted, I, I want to say granted, I've been in this thing my entire life. Right. So I've seen how it works when I was a kid. And, but yeah, no, the, yeah, you were, you were lied district to. leadership does not, I mean, in, in the breakout sessions, they do it, you know, network conference and stuff. They're not bad, but they're not good. They're they're certainly not they're certainly not for the most part good enough for you to take home to your church of a hundred. Right, and so um, that just doesn't take into account. Well, what if what if your senior pastor is a sucky leader? Well, she probably is on average. Granted, the two senior pastors that I worked for, the three senior pastors I worked for, all pretty good leaders, or had somebody in their in that role that they could do it. But yeah, you're right. It, the majority of senior pastors don't know what they're doing. They just doing what the next previous guy did, and they're going to have their their baggage from learning their leadership lessons by hunting for landmines with a hammer, and they're they're going to pass those bad lessons on to you. And congratulations, you've trained another bad leader, not from any fault of their own. No, it's just you're you're passing down, as Paul says, I passed on what I knew. <laughs> yeah, and you know we we just spend so much time developing people as spiritual leaders and. Not at all as, as organizational. Now, I can get behind what what, uh, what what you're talking about, Matt, of you know taking that role out of the hands of the pastor. You know, I I think that that's one of those things that w- what Caleb talked about making work uh, not terrible, not suck. That the the role of a good leader is is to make the work bearable uh, and dare I say enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, you you shouldn't have to go home. And then, you know, scrape yourself out of your car seat to go play with your kids because you just don't have the energy to do it because work has sucked the life out of you. It's going to anyways, because it's the night shift. And so it's going <laughs> to suck the life out of you. I'm sure. I'm sure night shift has, has its own challenges. And you're right that if, if, we're, if we are going to expect that, we need to do a better job of developing it. I wonder, listeners, if you know somebody who's just doing this really well, knocking it out of the park, let us know. We, we'd love to, you know. We don't do this deep dive of ministry very often. So if you're not in ministry, here's your back curtain look. 
and if you are, let us know somebody who's doing this well. Uh, it, you know, it's these are important topics. You know, there, there's different options. I think the option of divesting that power is is one. I think becoming a better leader is another one because not you're not going to be able to divest everywhere. Like Rachel mentioned, some some boards just aren't going to do it. It's too much work to get. That's that's a whole other leadership leading change moment that you'd have to do. Um, and if you can't do it to begin with, it's going to be harder. <laughs> well, and some of the larger churches that that I've attended to, I think, do this well in that there's not just. I think that, that this is particularly a problem for churches that have the the one guy, the one personality, the one head pastor who tries to be the point guard that just runs everything, tries to have his hand have his finger in all the things going on, uh, that this is primarily a problem for him. And it's usually a him, actually, in this case. <laughs> Sorry, How Rebecca. <laughs> I'm just saying what the church dynamic has showed in the last 25 years. And and this doesn't get to another large piece that I, I was sort of lamenting, in that, you know, trying to get the most out of your team, not like squeezing them, to, to do more work, but giving them the things that will be life-giving to them. Uh, giving them giving them the tasks that make life enjoyable versus the ones that are just rubbing your forehead against a cheese grater type things. Ow. Exactly. You've never done that? I have definitely rubbed my finger against a cheese grater. It must be a military thing. <laughs> um, fun fact. Breaking my tailbone, though. I don't think you understand what fun fact means. <laughs> I mean, I think that I had a fun fact with a bear a couple weeks ago, so I think she might have an accurate understanding. <laughs> I mean, I'm still pissed off about that. <laughs> I haven't listened to that podcast, clearly. When I chose the first bear story, I didn't know that it was going to be like that. But then when it was like that, I didn't have a choice not to talk about it, Matt. Because if you were in my situation, what would you have done? No, no, you are at, you did the right thing, uh, but you still did it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh I need to listen to that podcast, clearly, because I have not. Yeah, you do. That moment in and of itself is worth it. When Mike comes back, and he's like... <laughs> Wait, Mike did it? Because that makes oh, more sense. You, not, I'm not telling yeah, you anything you gotta, else. You gotta listen to last week's, the one that came out last week. Okay, I'm going to read a couple that, again, this week was a golden week of tweets. So I'm going to read a few that are not, these are not getting chosen. So these are not the tweets of the week. These are just honorable mentions. Uh, this is from somebody in the UK. God has blessed me and billions of others that we can't vote in American elections and thereby protected from voting Democrat. Therefore, we have a greater chance of going to heaven. Um, that's not one we're doing this week. Caleb, I'm not going to do this one. Uh the fact that Christians argue about abortion or the existence of hell is sadly laughable. The early church, though sometimes unsure on some issues, seems fairly settled on abortion being evil and those in rebellion to God being punished. But yeah, we are smarter. We're not doing that, one, Caleb. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to talk okay. about it. We already have. We already have a whole podcast on hell. You can go listen to that. But this is not correct. <laughs> We don't have a whole podcast on abortion, though. That's on the list of topics you guys rejected today. If it's political, I should. Uh, 
if we've already stated that I'm in the Air Force, I should probably leave. My public affairs officer would tell me that I need to leave. That's true. We're not gonna, I'm not going to make you read one that's political. I will read one, uh, and this, Caleb, does have an image to go with it, and Jacob is not reading this, to be clear. Um, it is the picture of uh, Ron DeSantis, Joe Biden, some dude and his wife, and Joe Biden has his arm around the wife being, being very jovial. And Ron DeSantis looks like he is pissed off at the world walking at least six feet away, if not more. But it says, I'm not saying DeSantis is a talentless politician, but if you let a guy from Delaware steal a voter wearing a Florida cracker t-shirt right as he's feeling up his wife right in front of you, you are fundamentally outclassed by your opponent. Joe Biden is clearly doing politician things way better than salty Ron DeSantis in this photo. I just don't understand how that happened. Like, how are you the governor and letting this happen? Because Joe Biden is a really good politician. He's so good at being a politician. Like, you can say what you want about him. Great politician. Might disagree with his policy and his politics, but... Also, let's be honest. It's also that, I mean, you snap a, a bad picture in a moment. Like, we all know that that could have just been a... Yeah, but here's the thing. And I totally agree with you. But in that moment, as the governor, you do not get to have a bad moment. You don't get to have bad moments. No. Oh, I know. You you cannot you cannot be off your A game in that in that situation, especially when the president's around. Good lord. Especially when the president is of the opposing party and you fought with him multiple times. I think we're gonna do this one. Which means we're not we're not gonna do the other one. And the other one is IFB pastors. He's my friend. He's a godly man. It takes two to sin. Cast the first stone. Satan sent her to bring a good man down. The Try Guys? The Cheater? We don't know him. He no longer works with us. I haven't. Which, you gotta know the Try Guys scandal thing going on, so it's not as good. I saw there is something going on, but I don't didn't know what it was. But here we go. I don't... Uh, oh yeah, I can. We're gonna go ahead and share the audio on this bad boy. Hopefully... If not, I can put it in later. Here comes the tweet. Do-do-do-do. You got a bag like this at Halloween? Do not take it. It's fentanyl. It'll kill you. Um, drug dealers, a lot of times, they want to sell their drugs. Well, not if they're coming over here to destroy our, com our country. And then so the drug dealers have houses that they the kids will come and knock on the door on and then they'll give, th give that to them? I'm thinking that's how it's going to happen, yeah. So drug dealers would be giving away... Um, not drug dealers, the illegals that are here. Yeah. They just crossed because what Biden is, has our, or our border wide open. Okay, so the illegals that have, have houses that then the kids are coming to knock on the illegals' houses doors that and they're drug dealers that are giving the uh the children their drugs look at fox news all you gotta do is watch an episode of fox news and fox news will tell you that the the it's coming it's, across it's our coming borders across. it's going into our playground and they're going to be giving it away during halloween yes yeah. so drug dealers are not trying to give your kids fentanyl at halloween because that's just dumb not the drug dealers, the illegals. They're coming across the southern border because Joe Biden has it wide open. Did you not listen, Matt? Wide open. And and what and what they're 
again, what they're doing is they're they're in houses where your children are going trick or treat. They're going to get. Listen, I would like to point out the flaws in this pro in this program. Number one, why are you taking your kids to trick or treat in neighborhoods where you don't know the people that well? Like, shouldn't you know your neighbors well enough? Like, isn't that the point? Um, we had people bust into our neighborhood that I grew up in. People would get like gi- giant passenger vans. See, this is where the illegals come in. So, <laughs> wait, no, that's where the illegals are going to trick or treat, not where they're giving out oh. fentanyl. Okay, I don't know. Second, as has been repeatedly reported by this podcast and others, drug druggies are not giving your kids their edibles. They want to like, keep their edibles. <laughs> they paid money for those. <laughs> They're not giving them away. Or they baked them themselves with an intent. They're not giving the they're not putting them in your kids' trick-or-treats no. in a way that they could trace easily trace it back to them if somebody found them. Correct! You only went to so many houses. And listen, I, I want to acknowledge that fentanyl is a real problem in America and there are incredible issues with it being used, but I just don't think This is not one of them. But no one's giving it away. That the illegals are smuggling it over to give to your children. The fact that that's the language she's using is is just... Well, that's the language that Fox News uses. I don't care. Even if Fox News isn't telling you directly that the illegals are going to give fentanyl to your kids on Halloween, like, I'm pretty sure Fox News hasn't said that. But all of the bits of it is language that's regularly used on Fox News. I don't care that that's what is used. I'm saying it's bad. I know that's what's used. Well, that's fine that it's bad. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not arguing with you, Rebecca. Why do you think I'm arguing with you? Isn't that the point of this podcast? <laughs> it's discussion. Fight, it's not fight, necessarily fight, for fight. me to say you're I wrong. I don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that sounded like a, like an argument to me. First off, first off, we all know that I'm the one that's wrong. Well, duh. Unless it's Caleb trying to use a definition that no one else has. Yeah, I mean, I think he was arguing with me right there. He wasn't arguing with you. He was saying the same thing, but in a different tone. <laughs> so maybe that's arguing? I don't know. Uh, I'm not an expert anymore. Uh, yeah, so again, uh, drug dealers handing out fentanyl on Halloween. Why? Because Fox News told her. Yeah, and, and you know, Fox News' language is uh, very inflammatory most of the time. It is. Hence this. I needed the article pulled up and I just typed into the search bar the weirdest thing that I've ever typed in. Did you type in onion animus brief in the search bar? (laughs) I did. And I was like, that's the weirdest thing I've ever typed in. There is a, a case in front of this Supreme Court. Uh, it's the it's Anthony Novak is the petitioner, and the city of Parma, Ohio, Kevin Riley and Thomas O'Connor individually in their official capacities, off, uh, employees of the city of Parma, Ohio. Those are the officers who are involved in this. So what happened was Anthony Novak created a Facebook page that was a parody of the city of Parma Police Department. <laughs> And yes. the city of Parma police department didn't take too kindly to that and arrested him. This is now a Supreme court case because why wouldn't it be? <laughs> so 
It's a pretty obvious free speech thing. Like, okay, so this is on petition for writ of certiori, certiorari, certiorari, I don't do Latin, to the United States Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit. Brief of the onion as amicus curiae in support of petitioner. This is an amicus brief, a friend of the court brief. The onion, maybe you've heard of the satire newspaper website, the onion is filing an amicus brief on behalf of the petitioner. And it's not bad. Like it's really funny. So it starts off interest of the so you have to you have to state why you are a friend of the court in this manner the onion is the world's leading news publication offering highly acclaimed universally revered coverage of breaking national international and local news events rising from its humble beginnings as a print newspaper in 1756 the onion now enjoys a daily readership of 4.3 trillion and has grown into the single most powerful and influential organization in human history (laughs) (laughs) that is the opening paragraph of the brief (laughs) and it, it gets better the onion's keen Fact-driven reportage (laughs) has been cited favorable by one or more local courts, as well as Iran and Chinese state-run media. Along the way, the Onion's journalists have garnered a sterling reputation for accurately forecasting future events. One such coup was the Onion scoop revealing that a former president kept nuclear secrets strewn around his beach home's basement three years before it even happened. And there's a footnote. <laughs> it's a footnote to their article predicting Mar-a-Lago. Uh, Mar-a-Lago assistant manager wondering if anyone coming to collect nuclear briefcase from Lost and Found. That was the headline. <laughs> Parody functions by tricking people into thinking that it's real. It's Listen, we, we posted the Twitter. We're going to post the doc. I'm, I'm just reading from a couple of uh, Twitter twitter screenshots but uh it's great it says on page 15 it should be obvious that parodists cannot be prosecuted for telling a joke with a straight face (laughs) this is the 15th page of a convoluted legal filing intended to deconstruct the societal implications of parody so the reader's attention is almost certainly wandering That's understandable. So here's a paragraph of gripping legal analysis to ensure that every jurist who reads this brief is appropriately impressed by the logic of his argument and the lucidity of its prose. (laughs) You guys, this is so much fun. (laughs) Okay. So like then, then there's a whole, you know, argument in Latin. Um, No, it doesn't make sense in Latin. This is a string of random phrases. legal phrases that is not necessarily all right so i i've read through the entirety of the amicus brief um it's great it's only 18 pages i strongly encourage that you to read it um just just for the laughs and the case the case is a the case is a really easy and obvious supreme court case it feels like, man, but Caleb, with this Supreme Court, I don't believe that. 
This is literally going to be my next line. Any time before the last couple of years, this is a very obvious conclusion. But we've had many cases with obvious conclusions um, that were not. What did the Sixth Circuit rule? It doesn't matter. I mean, it kind of does. They could have picked it up either to overturn it or to agree with it and strengthen the position. Like, very likely would have picked it up regardless of the answer. However... If if they do not rule in favor of this, I might move to Canada. Here's the thing. The the argument obviously is on, on impersonating a police officer, which he's clearly not doing. But I imagine that what will happen here, Caleb, is that we will see a ruling for the city of Parma, but a written defense of parody in the court's opinion. I don't think so. They have to win this outright. If they don't no. win this outright, then free speech is dead. They won't win it outright. No, it's not dead. Mm. What did the Sixth Circuit rule? Sixth Circuit found, or Polster found that the officers had probable cause to arrest Novak, that they had followed proper procedures, and they had not been hot-headed police officers seeking revenge, and that they had qualified immunity. All true. So that's, that's in the Sixth Circuit... Uh, affirm that that all those things will be affirmed by the court so that Mm -hmm. it will still go the city of parma's way but at the same time we will see a defense of free speech and parody in the opinion we might i honestly think that's what's going to happen i still don't think it's impersonating a police officer to do a parody account i mean it's it's pretty dumb and they they clearly if that's impersonating a police officer that's that's a problem they they argue that he had disrupted police activities, which is just not true. Yeah, I mean it's it's bad, and they shouldn't decide with them. But I've been watching the court long enough to know it's going to happen, or at least to have an informed opinion. Matt, let's be clear. I've also been watching the court for a long time, and that's why I know that I can't predict anything anymore. <laughs> oh yeah. Have you met the Supreme Court? Have you seen their rulings? The qualified immunity piece is the strongest piece. Like, the, the, he will not win the suit. But I think free speech will be upheld. Yeah, I doubt that we're going to get rid of qualified immunity with this lawsuit. One could hope. If this is the lawsuit that <laughs> overturns qualified immunity... The, the onion's <laughs> if, if this is the suit that overturns qualified immunity met. I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to have a celebration in person. Thanks for listening to the Barely Safe Podcast. Make sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes, links, and show notes, and merch at barelysafepodcast.com. We have a different algorithm. The internet is not the same for us. Thank you. Is mom here? No. Text us both and let us let us know. Can I get it? No, like right now. Text text the group. Tell mom that I said it's okay. Oh. She's going to the park with her friend. Because that's what you do when you're 13. And you need both parents to be informed about said things. Yes, yes, that is an important part. To of avoid it. any confusion about, did you have permission? Yeah, dad Correct. said. Yeah, just yep. already know ahead of time that dad said. Nip that in the bud.